God is good. And all the time. We are in our series entitled Prophet Margin, and this week we're looking at the prophet Samuel. He's often been called the first prophet in the Bible, although a handful happened before that. He's the guy who really fulfilled what prophets were all about. The word of a prophet was to speak to the people of God so they would know what God was saying and to help them narrow the margin between them and God. And that's what this series is about that we're walking through here at Cathedral of Faith, narrowing the margin between God and us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray that. Lord, there are so many things that vie for our desires, so many things that are intended to make us want and need There's advertisement, there's commercials, there's all these things saying, you need this, you need this. But Lord, what we recognize in this moment is we need you. We need more of you. We need to be closer to you. We need to know you more. Lord, as the deer longs for streams of water, we long for you. You tell us to taste and see that you are good. And Lord, we want to taste today of your goodness. We want to know you more. We want to be closer to you. We ask that you would come and narrow the gap. Some of us feel so far from you. Some of us, Lord, we just need to move closer. And would you do that today as the word of the Lord is declared, that you would come to us, work in us, speak to us, and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. Again, let's give God thanks and praise for his faithfulness. Samuel is a book that's written 55 chapters between 1 and 2 Samuel, the words of the prophet that I believe that even though they're 3,000 years old, God wants to speak to you today through those words. And there's four stories from the life of Samuel we're going to look at. The first story of Samuel happens right here at the altar. It actually happens before Samuel's born. There's a young lady who there at the altar at church kneels before God and pours out her heart. Oh God, Oh God, you know my needs. You know what I'm longing for. I come to you because you're the only one who can help me. You see, this young lady was being bullied. All the women in the village were bullying her, calling her names, irritating her, aggravating her, prompting her, just getting on her nerves. And so she came, God, I need your help. Please come. She was in so much anguish that for days she wouldn't eat. And there before the altar, she like, God, hear my prayer. I want to have a child. Please, God, give me a son, a son that I will dedicate to you. If you answer my prayer, I'll dedicate myself. And she cried and she prayed and she cried and she prayed. And her husband came and said, Hannah, Hannah, stop your crying. Please start eating again. Isn't it good enough just to have me as a husband rather than 10 sons? But she continued to call out, oh God, hear my prayer. Grant a child. I long to have a son that I can dedicate to you. I'll give him to you completely. And she cried so long and so loud that ultimately she couldn't even speak anymore. And she was just moving her lips. And just about that time, as if it wasn't bad enough to be bullied by all the women in the village, 
as if it wasn't enough to have her prayer unanswered for a child, the head of Israel, Eli, comes into the church, sees her and says, woman, get up. Why are you drunk in the house of God? Why are you drinking here, moving your lips around? Go home and drink there. She's like, no, it's not that I'm drunk. I've had no wine or beer, but I'm longing, I'm praying, I'm seeking God. I want to have a child. And there she called out. She's like, I'm wanting God to give me a baby. I'll give him to the Lord. And Eli heard from God and said, you will have a child. And sure enough, in the days that followed, a child was born. And Hannah had a little boy. And his name, she decided, would be Samuel. Samuel means heard of God. God had heard her prayer and answered She prayed to the Lord, and God said, here's your answer to prayer. And she said, I'm going to call him Samuel. So all of his life, he will know he was an answer to prayer. And sure enough, as soon as Samuel had been weaned, she took him to the church, placed him in the altar, gave him to Eli so that Eli could raise him there at the church. Some of you brought your kids to children's ministry today, please, please pick them up. (laughs) I know Hannah left Eli, but we're not accepting long-term children at this point here at the church. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, teaches us the first lesson in narrowing the margin between us and God. And the way to narrow that margin is pray. Say that with me. Pray. In 1 Samuel 1.12, we read these words about Hannah as she came before the Lord. It says, she kept on praying to the Lord. In fact, if you read through that whole first and second chapter of Samuel with this story, she prayed, she prayed some more, she kept on praying, she called out, she cried out, she cried out so much that she was just moving her lips. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed. That's how we draw closer to God. I know some of you think because you complain about your kids to everybody, that that's a prayer. But it's not. That's complaining. I know some of you complain about your workplace all the time. That's not prayer. That's complaining. Some of you complain about your spouse every chance you get, hoping they'll change. That's not prayer. That's complaining. Prayer is what we do right here before God. Prayer is what we do when we call and say, God, I need you to work. I know you can write out prayer requests on Facebook. I know you can write them out and send them in to the church. I know that you can tell other people. But the reality is God wants you to narrow the margin by choosing to pray yourself. What does that look like in your life? What's your rhythm of seeking God because here's an amazing truth did you know that prayers are prophecies prayers are prophecies because every miracle has a genealogy and if you trace those miracles all the way back to their origin you'll find a prayer 
I know some of you spend a lot of time online looking to see where your grandparents and great-grandparents and where they all came from and what your ancestry is and what your nation of origin is. That's a genealogy tracing. Well, if, if you want to find out where a miracle comes from, it always comes back from this place. Prayers are prophecies. What you pray is what you're declaring that you want God to do. God, I just declare breakthrough in my children. Lord, I declare that you're going to find that job. Lord, I declare you're going to help me through this. When we pray, we are, in fact, prophesying what we want God to do in our lives. James chapter 4, we read these amazing words. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Again, some of us think because we talk about it to everybody that we're praying. No, we have to find that place. You know, every time you see me up here on the platform, there's two things you can count on. One, I've always got my Bible here. Because I want you to know that the Word of God is central to Cathedral of Faith. This is important to who we are. And the second thing is, you will always see sticking out of my Bible a bookmark that says, pray for the Foreman family. You know, we have that responsibility as a church to surround Pastor Ken to surround the Foreman family with prayer. That's part of my daily commitment to pray. Every evening, Diane and I take hands and we agree together in prayer. We pray for God's purposes. We're praying around all kinds of circumstances and situations. Because if we don't pray, in fact, Samuel says, God forbid that I should send by failing to pray for you. There's a place of prayer that God's calling us to. In fact, the moral of this story is this. We ought to pray and never give up. You are only one prayer away from a dream fulfilled, from a promise kept, from a miracle performed. Don't give up. This is a consistent message all throughout the Bible. The children of Israel have been given a promise. I'm going to take you into the promised land, God said. And so they come there and there's this city of Jericho. And God says, I want you to walk around that city and pray. And so they walked around the walls of Jericho. They went around. They circled all the way around that city. And they prayed, we have holy understanding, holy expectation of what God's going to do. What if they stopped after one time around? They went around a second time. They continued to pray. They circled that city in prayer. They circled that promise in prayer. They circled that need in prayer. But what if they stopped after the second time? They continued the third time. They continued the fourth time, and the fifth time, and the sixth time, and the seventh time, and at the end of the seventh time, they shouted, and all of a sudden, a 400-year-old promise came to pass as they prayed circles around Jericho. <laughs> Jericho teaches us this. Hannah teaches us this. We ought to pray. We need to call on the Lord. That's why prayer is so vital to us here at Cathedral of Faith. When you send your prayer request in, our staff prays every Thursday for the needs that come in. We have a prayer team that gathers every Wednesday night and Friday night. We believe that prayer is vital. 
to what God wants to do. But you have to move closer to God, narrowing that margin through your own prayer. In fact, we're going to do that in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to either kneel at your seat or stand or raise your hands or lie on your face or sit there. You can call out loud or just move your lips and we won't think you're drunk. We won't send you home. But here's part of the problem. If Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do? Some of us, instead of drawing circles, we draw blanks. We don't know what we want God to do. What is it you're longing for in your life in your family, in this community? What sickness needs to be overcome? What freedom needs to take place? What breakthrough do you need? I want you to think about that for a moment because we're going to take this step of narrowing the margin between us and God by choosing to pray, to pray. In just a moment, I'm going to have Matthew put on a song, Nothing is Impossible, and is it playing? I want you to pray, call out to God, whether you want to do it out loud or whether you're just moving your lips. We're going to call out to God. We're going to pray. I can talk about it. We can talk about it. You can say, oh, yeah, this is good. We're going to do it, okay? Let's go. Matthew, give us some music. Let's call out on the Lord together. Bless your name, Lord Jesus. I can do anything. I can do all things. Because it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible through you. Blind eyes are open. Strongholds are broken. I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible. Lord, we come before you right now. You know every one of us. You know the child that needs a transformation. You know the body that needs healing. You know the person who needs a job. You know the person who's struggling on their workplace, who's being persecuted. You know the person who's longing for that answer to prayer. Lord, we come before you. We bring our prayers. We know that you are the only answer. Lord, how can we continue without you breaking through and doing what's impossible? We need your work. We need your grace. We need you. You know every one of us here. You know what we're longing for. You know what we're praying for. Lord, help us to begin to prophesy through our prayers that there will be breakthrough. There will be restoration. There will be healing. There will be provision. There will be favor. There will be relationships restored. Lord, we're just believing that you can do the impossible and we come to you together. Lord, I just agree with every person here who can hear my voice, those who are watching online, Lord, that they will know you've not forgotten them. You are with them. You are for them. You are working in ways they cannot see. And we don't know, Lord, if one more time around might be the answer. One more circle of prayer. One more moment of seeking after you. One more moment of crying out. Show us how to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's give God thanks and praise for his faithfulness. God has not forgotten you. And if you want to narrow that margin, that first step is to pray. And as a result, here's the prayer that we pray. Lord, hear my prayer. Say that with me. Lord, hear my prayer. That's what he calls us to, to come to this place calling out upon him and knowing that he is the answer. Well, we have a second story. 
And this second story happens to Samuel because he's been dropped off at the church and Eli's raising him. And Samuel spends his day serving the Lord and serving Eli. Day after day, faithfully, he grows in stature and admonition with the Lord. He's receiving favor. And one night, he's getting ready for bed. And as Samuel is dozing off to sleep, all of a sudden, he hears, Samuel. He heard his voice called. He jumped up and ran into Eli's room and said, yes, Eli, what is it you want? Eli says, why are you waking me up? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel made his way back to the bedroom. That was weird. Snuggled in. Laid down. Don't be jealous. (laughs) Just as he was about to fall asleep, he heard, Samuel. And again, he's like, Eli must have called me. And he runs back to Eli's room. Eli, you called me. Eli's like, boy, I didn't call you. What are you doing? I'm trying to sleep. Go back in there. Samuel scratches his head like, I'm not sure I understand this. Maybe Eli's losing it. I don't know. (laughs) Starts to fall asleep. And just before he dozes off, once again he hears, Samuel. Okay, I know for sure it was Eli that time. Eli, you called me again. I know you did. I heard you. And Eli all of a sudden realizes, ah, God is speaking to Samuel. And he says, Samuel, I want you to go back to your room. And next time you hear that voice, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, for it's God who's calling your name. Samuel had never heard the voice of God before. Sure sounded like Eli to him. (laughs) Off he goes, and just before he dozes off, once again he hears, Samuel. And this time, just as he was told by Eli, he says, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And God began to speak to him. He says, I want to tell you some things that will tickle the ears of the people of Israel when they hear it. And he went on to share some things with Samuel. And this was the beginning of a season of his life where he heard from God. He heard what God had to say, not only for him, but for the people of God. So from this story, we learn the second step, which is this. The second step is in narrowing the margin with God, we need to hear. We need to hear. The words that Samuel spoke, we find in Samuel 3.9, are this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening Speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Part of narrowing the margin between us and God is learning to hear the voice of the Lord. Learning to hear what the Lord has to say. But here's the problem. We often, 
In fact, we very often miss hearing God's voice simply because we aren't paying attention. Here's the truth. God wants to speak to you. Not just to pastors and prophets and leaders. God wants to speak to you. In fact, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, these words, he says, Behold, I stand, I am standing at the door and knocking, and anyone who hears my voice and lets me in, I will come in and fellowship with him, with her, with them. Here's the truth. This is a word written to Christians. He's saying, I am continually knocking. I'm standing at the door of your heart. I want to speak to you. I want to share my heart with you. I want you to know what I have to say. Just open up and listen. In fact, Jesus himself said these words in John 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. God wants to speak to you. Amen. He speaks through the scriptures, through his word. He speaks through the word of God as it's declared. He speaks to you, giving you an inner witness of what he wants to say to you, what he wants to work in you. But here's part of the problem. To hear God's voice, you have to turn down the world's volume. You have to turn down the volume of all the noises around you. Now, in this next moment, I'm going to share with you the word of the Lord. How many want to hear the word of the Lord? I'm going to share it with you. Let's get ready. But here's the problem when we try to hear the word of the Lord. We go to hear the word of the Lord, and all of a sudden, life happens. Unexpected things take place in our life. And then also, there's everyday work happens. And it starts to take place around. And of course, we have the television on and the game's going and we're watching the game. And then, of course, there's the radio playing the music. Amen. Wasn't that a great word? Did you hear it? No, you couldn't hear it. Because there was so much noise. And the reality is, if you want to hear the voice of God, when are the moments you're setting aside to silence all the other voices? I know it's great to play music in the car. I know that some of you need like noise in the house so you have the TV always going. But the reality is, every once in a while, in fact, it would be nice daily to find that moment to quiet yourself, to hear to hear what the Lord would say. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these words, and he declares, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. God wants you to hear and understand what he has to say. About 10 years ago, Pastor Ken would be out and about in the Bay Area in some of the cities around the Bay God called him to San Jose. He's pastored here for many years. He served faithfully here. But he'd be in other parts of the Bay Area, and all of a sudden, he'd start to cry. Say, God, you love this community too. And he'd be in random places around the Bay, and God say, I want you to show my love here. And so he began to pray, 
And God talked to him about starting campuses around the Bay Area. He shared it with the leadership here at Cathedral. They began to pray. Diane and I lived in Virginia at the time. He called me in Virginia, 3,000 miles, and said, hey, I'm praying about this. Would you pray with me? And soon we began to hear from God in a new way. And God called Diane and I to leave our church in Virginia, move all the way out here, as he said, I want you to help plant campuses. So we got here, and one of the first things we did... We gathered a group of pastors from Cathedral of Faith, and we got on the light rail. And for an entire day, we rode, and we would pray. Sometimes we prayed out loud together on the light rail for an hour at a time. Sometimes we moved our lips. People probably thought we were drunk. But um, sometimes we got off of the stops, and we would pray over community and reach out our hands and declare. And by the end of that day, we heard God say two things. We heard God say, I want Pastor Gill to start a church in East San Jose on the blessed side. And we heard God say, I want Pastor Robert to start a church in Milpitas to demonstrate the love of God. And you can see this whole process is first Pastor Ken heard from God. We heard from God. We all got on light rail, grew up pastors. Pastor Gill heard from God. Pastor Robert heard from God. We began to hear from God so that he, we knew exactly what he wanted us to do. And God has a word for you for this season of your life so you'll know what to do. Some of you are depending on everybody else to tell you what God's saying. It's time for you to narrow the margin by having ears to hear what the Lord will say. Amen? When your children were little, you had to tell them everything. Hold my hand. Wipe your mouth. Say thank you. Say please. Mind your manners. You had to tell them what to do when they were children. Hopefully, as your kids got older, you didn't have to tell them those things anymore. Babes in Christ have to hear the word of God from everybody else all the time. It's still good to have good advice. It's still good to have sermons. It's still good to have teaching. But there comes a moment when you grow up, when you hear from God yourself. And so that's why the next prayer is this. Lord, I will listen and obey. Say that with me. Lord, I will listen and obey. Well, now we come to the third story of Samuel. You see, Samuel grew up in the house of the Lord he lived there at the church with Eli. He grew in wisdom and knowledge and hearing the voice of the Lord. And he became a prophet as well as a judge. He was one of the rulers of Israel. And by his leadership, he would lead the people of God so they knew exactly what to do and serve the people. There had been 400 years of judges. And he was actually the last judge because God spoke to him about anointing a king. First time, it didn't go so well. But the second time, God said, here's what I want you to do, Samuel. I mean, Samuel, I want you to go to the city of Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and one of his sons is to be the king. I want you to anoint him and separate him to be king. Seek me, I'll show you who it is. So Samuel obeyed God. Went to Bethlehem, looked up house of Jesse, and then summoned for Jesse's sons to come before him. Here they come. It's great to have the sons of Jesse on board today. So the first son stepped before Samuel, the firstborn, tall, 
good-looking, smart, the natural choice. (laughs) Samuel placed his hands up on Eliab's head, looked up to hear from the Lord, and the Lord said, nope, he's not the one. Soon the second son came before Samuel. In the same manner, Samuel placed his hands on the head of the son, looked up to the Lord, and the Lord said, no, this isn't the one. Soon the third son came before Samuel. Likewise again, Samuel looked to the Lord, and the Lord said, this isn't the one. The fourth son came before Samuel, and as before, laid hands on the son, looked to the Lord, said, no, this isn't the king. The fifth son came before Samuel, and in like manner, looking to heaven, the Lord said, no. And the sixth son came before Samuel, and once again, the Lord said, no. And then the seventh son came before Samuel, and he looked toward God, and the Lord said, no. And Samuel was confused. God, you told me, Bethlehem, Jesse, None of these seven sons are the one. And so Samuel says, is this it? Are there no other sons? And Jesse says, well, there's the runt. (laughs) David's out in the field watching the sheep, but, you know, he'd be the last one to be king. What? So Samuel says, go and get David. I'm not even going to sit down until he gets back, is what it says in the scripture. And so he stood there with Jesse waiting until finally they came with David, who had been out tending the sheep in the field. He hadn't even been thought of as an option. And when David came and stood before Samuel, you don't smell like sheep. (laughs) Samuel placed his hands on David's head. And when he looked to the heavens, God says, this is my anointed. This is the one I've chosen to lead my people. He's a man with a heart after me. And in that moment, Samuel recognized, and he took the mantle, placed it upon David's head, and said, this is to be the king of Israel. Seven sons, seven no's, seven most likely to succeed, seven no's, seven tall, good-looking, loved by their dad, seven no's. But the one who was overlooked by his own family was not overlooked by God. And in that moment, in that moment says, this is my anointed one. Let's say thanks to the tech team for helping us out today. Here's the next step in narrowing the margin between us and God. We pray, we hear, but it's also important how we look, how we use our eyes. In 1 Samuel 6, in recounting this story, here's what Samuel writes. He says, people look at the outside of a person... But the Lord looks at what is in the heart. People look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. 
it's so easy for us to judge based on outward appearances. Well, how many of you know God has great plans for you? How many of you know God has a great gift for you? Amen? Well, I actually have a gift today that I want to talk to you about. And a traffic cone. So, let me talk to you about this first. This took me over 30 minutes to wrap. You can ask my wife. It's been a lot of time. Three kinds of ribbon, wrapping, bows. Spend a lot of time on this. And actually, I had to make five stops to get what's inside here. Took a lot of time, a lot of energy. There's a lot here. And so, that's the gift. And on the way here, I picked up a traffic cone. It's seen its better days. Falling apart, dirty. Anyway, how many of you, if given the choice, would say, I'll take the gift? Raise your hand. How many want the gift? Raise your hand. Raise them high. How many of you want the cone? Raise your hand. My, five, my five-year-old grandson would raise his hands for this too. How many of you don't like raising hands? That's why you didn't raise your hand yet. There you go. Well, let me tell you, those of you who chose this gift that I had to go five places to get, actually the five places I went were five different trash cans. It's garbage. All kinds of garbage. In fact, I took this out of the kitchen at the staff kitchen, and somebody's french fries still in here since Thursday. It's really bad. So if you chose this, congratulations, you chose trash. (laughs) Those of you who chose this cone that's seen its better days, inside, $100. Bet you didn't see that coming. If you chose this beat up, seen its last day, you would have got 100 bucks. That's really what this message in this third story is all about. We can spend a lot of time decorating the outside of our life, looking good, building our resume, putting on the ribbons and bows, and we may overlook the wealth God really has for us. We may overlook what God's really trying to do in us. Remember, God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside. So don't be so quick. Don't be so quick to judge a blessing or curse by its cover. Because something that looks bad might not be so bad after all. Something that you think might look like a good opportunity might not be the great opportunity you think it is. Thank you. And thanks for that $100. In the words of our founding pastor, the truth that's so powerful is this. Who? Who is to say it's a bad day? Who is to say it's a bad day until all the days have been added up? You don't know that what seems like a curse right now could be the open door to the greatest blessing in your life. 
Jesus said in John chapter 7, stop judging. Stop judging by mere appearances, but judge with right judgment. He wants us to have our eyes open to look, to look at things differently. Here's why. Because God helps me. He helps us be able to see the possibility in spite of the impossibility. It might look impossible to you on the outside, but God says it is possible. Nothing is impossible with him. That child you've been circling in prayer, don't give up. That financial situation you're circling in prayer, don't give up. That marriage you're circling in prayer, don't give up. That healing you're believing for, don't give up. Don't let the impossibility of it take you. But may God give you eyes to see what he has for you. There's a powerful statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He declares this. He says, no eye, not my eye, not your eye, no eye has ever seen and no ear has ever heard or no mind has ever thought of all the wonderful things that God has ready for those who love him. It's more than you can imagine. But God has shown these things to us through his Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who looks, who looks, who looks, who looks into all things, even the secrets of God, and he shows them to us. Look, look, look. God wants to open your eyes and not just look at the exterior, not just look at the circumstances, not just look at the exterior, but here's the prayer that we pray. Lord, show me the way you see. Let's say that together. Lord, show me the way you see. Lord, show me the way you see me. Lord, show me the way you see them. Lord, show me the way you see my circumstances. Lord, show me the way you see what's going on. Let me see. Let me look to see the way you would. So to narrow the margin between us and God, the prophet Samuel says, pray. He says, hear. He says, look. And now we go to the fourth one. Samuel not only was a judge and a prophet, he was an amazing leader. And here's what he did. In the off-season, because we know most people were farmers, and you've got the season where you're working the ground and you're planting, you've got the season when you're harvesting, but there's downtime on both ends. And twice a year, he established something called the School of the Prophets. And men would come, and he would teach them the ways of God. He would teach them how to hear from God. And the school of the prophets was in the city of Naoth in Ramah. And David was one of these young men, the sons of Korah, the sons of Asa. In fact, the majority of the Psalms that were written came out of that school of the prophets that Samuel led. He was leading these men to know God and to be great leaders. But within days, an amazing change happened in Israel. For 400 years, they were governed by judges. That's one form of government. And then overnight, they were judged by, led by kings. That's a whole different form of government. Can you imagine if in two days, all of the United States changed to a different form of government? How disconcerting and frustrating it would be. But Samuel had prepared the way. 
he had taught the people, taught them how to know God's voice, taught them what the Lord had to say. In fact, one of the young men who went to that school of the prophets, the sons of Korah, writes these words in Psalm 84. It says, blessed is the one whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. They pass through the valley of Bacah. Bacah means barrenness or weeping, just like Hannah. They pass through those places and they make it into a place of springs. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God. Here's what Samuel did. He firmly had a foot in the old, what God was doing for years, leading by judges. But he also had a foot in the new. He had a an ability to see where God was taking the people. And he helped be that bridge to take them from the old ways to the new ways. He helped build them so that rather than being stuck in one way of doing it, they were able to move into the future that God had for them. He took the best of what God had done and he led the people to what God wanted to do next. It was an incredible step of faith. And that's our fourth story and our fourth point of what it takes to narrow the margin between us and God. Step. To take a step. In 1 Samuel 19, we read about when Saul went down to where the school of the prophets was held. It says, David and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Sir Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. The Spirit of God came on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. There was such an anointing on this place that everybody who came there, the Spirit of God came on them. They spoke the word of the Lord. They declared it in faith. But here's the important thing about Naoth. Naoth is that step into the hope and future God has for you. Here's part of the problem. Today, today may be the enemy of your tomorrow. What got you here might not get you to where you need to go next. Some of us are so used to just, well, it's what I've always done. Let me just keep doing it this way. Why don't we go back to the good old days? Why don't we do it like we used to do it? Why doesn't this happen the way it used to happen? Because here's the whole point. God is always calling us to that next thing. We we need a foot in the old. We need to respect what God has done. But we need to be able to stand in the gap and step into what's new. And as a result, there are things we have to give up in order to move forward. Sometimes there's things we have to let go of in order to move forward, to get from where we are to where we want to be. And we have to stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Sometimes there are things we have to let go of to move to the future. You can't talk to your teenager the way you talked to them when they were a toddler. We can't in 2019 do what God did in 1970. Some of us keep wanting to go back to the good old days, but here's what God's always looking for. Ezekiel 22, another prophet says these powerful words when he says, God looked for someone who would stand in the gap on behalf of the people. He's looking for you to stand in the gap on behalf of your children, your family, on behalf of this church, on behalf of what he wants to do. As a result, here's the prayer that God wants us to pray. If we want to take that step of faith, 
The prayer is, Lord, help me narrow the margin. Lord, use me to bridge between the lost and found, between those who need you and coming to you. Let me be the bridge for my family. Let me be the bridge for this community. Let me be the bridge in leading this church to the hope and the future you have for us. These four steps are so vital in that part of the journey. God wants you to pray. Seek him. He wants you to hear. He wants you to look. He wants you to step. That's how we narrow the margin. Last November, as we were coming to the end of 2018, Pastor Ken and I were seeking the Lord, saying, God, what's the word of the Lord for 2019? What do you want to say to Cathedral of Faith? What do you want to do in us? In those moments, we're praying for you. As your faces go before us, as your names go through our spirit, we're praying, God, you've entrusted us with these people to pastor, to care for, to hold in our hearts. What's the word of the Lord you want to speak into them? What do you want to do in their lives? And so we were praying and seeking God. We were fasting and calling out upon the Lord. And one day we went over to Oak Hill Cemetery. We went way up to the top of the hill. And as we stood at the top of the hill looking over the city, we began to pray to pray for you, to pray for 2019, to pray for the word of the Lord. And the Lord kept telling us the word increase, increase. I want to bring increase in 2019. Increase on so many levels, in so many ways. Increased intimacy, increased blessing, increased favor, increased growth, increased discipleship, increased in so many ways. God says, you must decrease and I must increase. And as we prayed, some of you might no, the musical notation that's called a crescendo. As we were praying, that musical notation crescendo means increase. We opened our eyes from praying and we looked up and there over the city of San Jose was a giant cloud in the shape of a crescendo. And we just felt like God was saying, look, see, I want to bring increase I want to bring that increase in you, in this church, in this community. God promises us that he wants increase in your life. Increased favor, increased blessing, increased healing, increased release. We're believing for that. We're seeing that as we worship, as we grow. We believe God has great increase for you. As a result of that, all the sermon series that we bring come out of that. So far this year, we've already had five sermon series. The first one was Great Expectations because we just felt like God wanted us to plant the seeds for you to have increased expectations for increase. By the way, if you ever miss a sermon, you know, you can go to our website and click on media, click on messages. You can watch sermons from the last six years. You want to hear from God? That might be one of the ways to do it. After Great Expectations, we had a series called Say Something, where we had the sayings of Jesus from the cross, where we asked God to increase our ability to hear from Him. We then went to a series called Core, Who We Are, a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything's possible, and the love is lived out. That's who we are. We say, God, increase that in us and through us. We just finished a series coming out of Easter called Earth, Wind, and Fire as we went through the book of Acts and say, Lord, what you did in the early church, increase that in us. Send your wind, send your fire here on this place of the earth and work in us. And now we're in this series, Profit Margin. All of this comes out of one thing. Pastor Ken and I said, we need to hear from God. We need to know what you're saying. That's what we do as pastors. That's what God wants you to do for your family for your life. What's the word of the Lord to you today?
Is God talking to you about consistently circling your family in prayer? Is God asking you to quit complaining and to start praying about something? Maybe God's saying, you know what? I do want to speak to you. You haven't heard me so far, but my sheep know my voice, and I am trying to speak to you if you just silence some of those voices. Maybe for some of you, you've judged people and circumstances and there's bitterness and hatred and frustration and unforgiveness in your heart. And God says, I want to change the way you look at this. Maybe some of you to narrow the margin need to need to take a step in faith. God, what is it you're asking me to do? What is it from the past I need to let go of in order to bridge to the future? What is it I need to move toward in faith? Somewhere in there is the word of the Lord for you and drawing you closer to the Lord. We're going to take a moment just to declare in faith, nothing is impossible. The worship team is going to lead us in that. And as they do, I want you to sing. I want you to pray. I want you to call upon the Lord. I want you to say, Lord, I don't want to leave here today without the word from you. What's the word for me? Now, these notes, you know, as you know, we have some of those outlines in the back if you want them. You can also go online. It's at the app. You can grab hold of that. I want you to go home with the word of the Lord. But in the midst of that, know that nothing is impossible. Amen. Pastor Vaughn, lead us in with that. Sit together. Through you. hear that? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. Keep circling. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep listening. Keep looking. Keep stepping because with God's help, nothing is impossible. Amen. Let's give him thanks and praise. Hallelujah.